we live in a very selfish, self-centered, me, myself, and I attitude society. And, and because of that, we have felt the need in making certain comments to people afraid of the way they may, they may take it. We have felt the need to tell them, don't take it personal. But, but before you're seated, I want you to turn to somebody and announce to them the title of the message tonight. Tell the person beside you, take it personal. If you're going to anyways, we're going to give you leeway. Take it personal. You may be seated. I, I understand. I'm, I'm very aware of the strangeness of coming to you having never pastored a church never want to been offered over 40 and turned them all down I, I am aware of how Boastful it may sound to come to you without pastoral experience to preach to you a message of how to grow a church. I understand there will be some in the building and on two Facebook. You'll get that in a minute. <laughs> that how can somebody who's only lived in a pastor's home but never pastored himself preach about a growing church? And I will be the first to admit I may not have firsthand experience but I got a book. And, and before we find out what Max Lucado thinks about it, how about we find out what God thinks about it? When you look at the Word of God, there has been different places that men have went and pulled out, identified what makes a good church. I have heard some go to book of Exodus, the children of Israel and all of their involvement, all of their duties and responsibility and the fact that everything in the tabernacle was so perfectly detailed down to the materials and the colors of what to use in different places of the tabernacle, how they were to set it up, carry it on their journey, how they were to tear it down. And that is a good place to look. But, but I don't believe that is the place to look. We have said, and I would have to agree, that, that we have went to Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church, how it started in a prayer meeting, and it began with fire. 
It's not going to settle for smoke. And that's a good place to start. But, but for me, just maybe my personal opinion, but, but to me, if you want to know what makes a good church, then one needs to look no further than the church Jesus established with the twelve. And I, I go there because it's what Jesus chose. It's, it's not what somebody told him he should do. It's what Jesus knew that this is what is needed to turn the world upside down. So if Jesus is going to pick these people, then I think it's very important we take a good look at what he chose to build a church. The first man we read, at least in Matthew's account of the choosing of the twelve, is the man Peter. The name Peter, as I've stated in this revival already, means a rock. So the first, the first place Jesus went, the first, the first individual that he chose. You, I'm going to repeat that a lot because you got to get that in your head. He picked it. He chose it. He designed it. And the first one he chose was somebody who would be solid. Because he knew if I'm going to build a church, I can't build it with an attitude of up and down, in and out, inconsistent. If I'm going to build a church, the foundation has to be solid. The foundation has to begin with people who have a made-up mind, I'm not going anywhere. Who will not be swayed by every wind of doctrine and will not be pulled by every lying spirit, but will make up in their mind, this is my church and I'm not going anywhere. We want the double portion, but we don't realize what it takes to get the double portion. We have our ideas and our conference messages that will wow people, but let's just stick with what the Bible says. After three cities, the prophet finally stopped, looked at Elisha and said, what do you want from me? And Elisha's response was, I want a double portion of your spirit. And the prophet said, you've asked a hard thing, but if you see me when I'm carried away, you will have what you want. So it doesn't take a brilliant scientist to understand. Elisha would have never saw Elijah get carried away had he not been with Elijah. He didn't say when you hear about it. He said when you see me carried away. So the double portion was contingent upon stickability, upon faithfulness. You won't double portion from God. You stay faithful to your church. You won't double portion of blessing. You stay faithful to your man of God. You want to build a church that will last. You build it on a rock that's solid with people who have a made up mind. For a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So Jesus said the first thing I'm going to choose to build a church that will turn the world upside down. It's got to be solid. It's got to be founded on solid people and solid spirits. 
The next one we find is the man Andrew. Andrew was the one who brought Peter to Jesus. Andrew was the one that brought the lad who held five loaves and two fish which fed multitudes. Andrew was the one who brought certain Greeks to Jesus. So, so Jesus understood not only do we need people who are solid, but we also need people who understand it's not all about them. It's about bringing others. It's about telling others. It's about going and getting others. It's about working the field. Come on, do you really think the Lord saved you and baptized you with his spirit for you to just come in every weekend and sit on a Pentecostal pew to be told what you already believe? No, he gave you the Holy Ghost for one reason, to give you power to open your mouth and be a witness. You want a church to grow, that's how you do it. You get solid people, then you get people who don't keep it to themselves, but they bring others, and they feed others, and they help others, and they promote others. Selfish people are not growing church people. They are sick people. They are spiritually obese people. They are those who always get fat with their own meat. Jesus said, I got meat to eat that you don't know nothing about. Because my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And he said that after taking time out of his busy schedule to bypass the easy way and go to a Samaritan woman who knew nothing about this. Even Jesus knew this is about others. Do you know the last words before Jesus was crucified from the enemy that that allowed the crucifixion from those that gave the people what they wanted in crucifying Jesus when they looked up at Jesus and they said, save yourself if you be the son of God. Save yourself if who you, if you are who you say. Do you know what they said? The enemy said he saved others but himself he cannot save even the enemy knew this is not about always saving yourself it's about saving others the next two men that Jesus chose was James and John these men have an identity as the sons of thunder. Thunder's not quiet. Thunder is so loud everybody can hear it. Thunder is not quiet. Thunder, thunder does not keep itself silent. It makes noise. It shakes the atmosphere. Thunder indicates there's a rainstorm coming. We need solid people. We need those who know how to bring and feed others. And we need those who know how to make some noise. I didn't choose it. Jesus picked it. Jesus chose it. Jesus said in my church, I need some noise makers. I need some atmosphere changers. I need so much noise being made that the city understands there's a sound of abundance of rain coming. I need so much noise being made that the city knows the church is up to something. 
That's why we need praisers and we need worshipers and we need rejoicers and we need people who magnify the Lord with a loud voice. He chose it. He wants it. For, for those of you who want to use the scripture about I like the still, small voice atmosphere. You, you can't use that in that context because the Bible said that it was the Lord who moved in a still, small voice. So the Lord can move how he chooses to move. But baby, when it comes to you and I, there's no word that says be quiet. There's no word that says keep your mouth closed. There's no word, there's no word that, that says just, just, just hush up. No, but I can show you time and time again where we ought to lift our voice like a trumpet, where we ought to make a loud noise unto the Lord. Why? Because he chose it. up my righteous indignation when I hear people say stupid stuff like I, I may not do much but I listen I, I may not do what you say but I'm listening to what then you're a deceiver because the Bible says very clearly if you ever if you ever bother to read it if all you do is listen and you don't do you deceive yourself So when the preacher's talking about hand clapping, you need to be clapping your hands, not just listening. When the preacher's talking about lifting your voice, you better lift. Getting loud, you better be getting loud. The only person in scripture who refuses to worship is the devil. So when you don't worship, you're no more like the devil than then. I must admit this this next one when I when I went down this list and began looking at these men, it just baffled me. I, I didn't understand why after a rock and after Andrew who brings people who works the field and after two men who whose noise makers we then got Philip, whose name means lover of horses. Because personally, I'm not. Not against anybody that is, I just. But then I got to thinking, the, the little I know about horses, they're not all the same size. They're not all the same color. Some are easily teachable while others buck up against everything. Some are easily to be led and others you got to drag. And the name Philip is not lover of horse. It's lover of horses. So what Jesus chose was somebody with the spirit who's going to love every one of them. Come on, because we got some people who's easily trained, who gets holiness quick and easy, but others, you got to keep on working with them. You got to keep on teaching them. Some will follow you and others you're going to drag along the way. 
But Jesus said, give me a church with people who won't judge and won't condemn and won't backbite and won't gossip. But give me a church full of people who loves them all, regardless of the color, regardless of the size, regardless of where they come from. I need someone who loves everybody. For baby, it's not by your shout, and it's not by your dance, and it's not by your worship. It's by your love shall men know you're my disciples. That's all I'm doing. I'm not just teaching. Just, just, just. Next one is Bartholomew. Most believe that Bartholomew and Nathaniel were the same men. If that be the case, when Jesus saw Nathaniel coming, his own testimony said, Behold, an Israelite indeed. He didn't say he, he, he looks Israelite, but his spirit's not. He didn't say his spirit is Israelite, but his dress is not. He didn't say he kind of looks Israelite. He didn't say he's almost Israelite. No, Jesus said emphatically, he's an Israelite indeed. I'm going to tell you, if we're going to build a church and shake our world, we need people who's absolutely apostolic. Not accidentally. Come on, when you walk down the aisle at Walmart, by the way you look, they need to know you're apostolic. But when you talk to them, they need to know you're apostolic. We need to be that in our dress, in our attitude, in our spirit, in our conduct, in business, in life. If your waitress gets your sweet tea unsweet, you still need to be absolutely apostolic. See, I'm setting you up for the hard one. Because the next one we got is Matthew, the tax collector. Jesus chose solid. Jesus chose those who know how to work the field. Jesus chose noisemakers. Jesus chose lovers of everybody. Jesus chose those who are absolutely what they claim to be. And Jesus also chose someone who knows the value of the dollar. See, the charismatic world has taken this prosperity message for their own selfish indulgements. And so those who are in truth are afraid to talk about it lest we be labeled charismatic. But it was in that book long before they or we got here. And I'm not going to shut up what the book says because somebody uses it for their own laziness. It takes money to run a church. And, and maybe all of you do. Maybe Eddie Robinson is the rare pastor. Maybe every one of you pay your tithes. 
But if you don't, you're not part of the church Jesus chose. I've heard modern people want to change the vernacular to somehow make it more appeasing. We don't pay tithes, we give tithes. Well, the scripture says you pay them. The question was presented to God's people by Malachi, would a man rob God? And their response is, how have we robbed God? We worship him. We follow him. We believe in him. How have we robbed God? The answer in your tithing and in your offering. Hold on, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit you hard in a minute with Revelation. And so, and so it was said, because you've done this, you are cursed. No way out. No mercy. No forgiveness. No second chance. You rob God, you're cursed. And he's telling this to God's people. Not to strangers. He's telling this to people who serve God. He's telling God's people, because you rob, you're cursed. Even, even the Bible said, prove me. If I won't open the windows of heaven and give you a blessing you can't receive. He said, try it. Stop saying all that church only wants my money. No God said it. God chose it. So don't question the church, question God. See, people think they know the Bible until somebody gets in the book. The only time in all 66 books it was said, try me, prove me. Why wouldn't you take God up on his offer? So, to God's people, you got to get that. To, to those who serve and believe God, they're cursed. What's another word for robber? Thief. So take a look at a cross. Where Jesus is in the middle and two thieves are beside him. And to one of those thieves who's not a believer who's not a server, who's not a worshiper, he says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. So to the robbers of those who serve God, they're cursed. But to a thief, he gets in the kingdom. Why? Because God has more mercy for a thief on a cross than a thief on a pew. That thief on the cross don't know any better. But those of you who've lived for God, you know better. You know you what you should be doing. And the fact you don't, that's why you got curses. That's why you got dead up to your eyeballs. That's, that's why you can't get along with anybody because you're cursed and you can't get out from it. Paying your tithes can get you out of a lot of stuff that all your praying can't. Many years ago, I don't, I don't know why, even to this day, I don't know why, but, but there was a false prophet going around preaching and somehow about 10 churches he went to the pastor of the church would call me and ask me about this guy, how they connected me and this lawyer, I will never understand. 
And, and I would always tell them the truth. I've never heard the guy preach. I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't, I don't know nothing about him. But then he went to a good friend of mine, and he called me. And I said, do me a favor. You're like the 10th guy to call me about this dude. I, I want you to record his messages so I can tell these people something. So he did. And sure enough, he went into his prophecy deal and stood one guy up. I don't know who it is. that I just listened to it on CD. And he prophesied over this man a financial blessing. I asked the pastor the next day when I saw him, I said, I said, sir, I said, uh, the, the, this, this prophet prophesied over somebody a financial blessing. I said, all I want, don't tell me who the guy is. All I want to know is, does the guy pay his tithes? Pastor looked at me and said, actually, Brother Atkins, he doesn't. I said, that's all I need to know then. He's a false prophet. Because God's not going to go against his word. I don't care how much you pray, how much you fast, how much you worship. Try giving and see what that does. I dare you to see if you can outgive God. Just, just prove him. Come on, some of you so man. Okay, I double dog dare you to just see what God does. I didn't choose it. I didn't pick it. Jesus said, if my church is going to turn the world upside down, I need somebody who knows how to give. Next, next, next one we got. Next one we got is the man, James, the son of Alphaeus. This James is the author of the epistle. It is this James who preached to be a doer of the word. Oh, there it is again. And not just a hearer only. It was this James who preached to have works that back up your faith. Jesus looks for those who won't just sit and do it and do nothing, but they will put their faith to action. I believe God can heal my body, then come to an altar. I believe God can save my family, then go get them. I believe God. I'm trying to go through these quick. The next one was Thaddeus. Thaddeus was of the tribe of Judah. That explains itself. Even Jesus wants praise. In fact, he wants praise so much, he chose Judas, which is a New Testament word of Judah. And the, and the interesting thing about Judas is most of the apostles were chosen at the Sea of Galilee while they were washing their nets, not Judas. Judas was the one exception that Jesus traveled 30 miles out of his way to a town called Curioth, and there he picked Judas, meaning that Jesus wants praise so much he is willing to go out of his way to find one. I was born and raised, and this don't mean scorn if you ain't a praiser. He'll bypass you. He'll go out of his way to find a praiser. Because that's what the Father seeks for. Not title, worship. Not bragging rights, worship. Simon is in the mix, different than Peter. Simon is a Greek word from Simeon, which means to hear. Jesus needed someone to hear as much as others would only want to be heard. Now, if you followed me, and if you know the 12 and you know Scripture, you are aware that I have left out one. And I did it on purpose to get us to where the Holy Ghost wants us to go to. For among these was a man named Thomas. We, 
have labeled him doubting Thomas. Even though scripture never did. Don't put labels on somebody if Jesus hasn't. Pastor, get ready to read, please. We, we label him doubting Thomas because of the events that unfolded after the resurrection of Jesus. He came into a closed room where only the apostles were meeting with the exception of Thomas. And they come and tell Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Watch what happens. Read, please. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Yes. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. We've seen him. But he said unto them, but he said, except I shall see, except I see in his hands, in his hands, the print of the nails, those nail prints and put my finger into the print of the nails until I put my finger into those prints <laughs> and thrust my hand into his side until I thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. I will not believe. And so with those words, we say. Doubt he doubted. Thomas. That's right. That's right. But the closer I look at this man mm-hmm. and this, these statements from him, because he made it very personal. He said, I want to touch him. I want to feel him. I want to get my hands on him. You see, Thomas was not among the elite of the apostles. In fact, there's not many times he's even mentioned in Scripture. He's not like Peter, James, and John who's always with Jesus, who's always being invited by Jesus to go to a prayer meeting, who's on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's not Thomas. He's not there. Thomas is not the one walking on the water. That's Peter. Thomas is not the one bringing the bread and the loaves to feed 5,000. Oh, that's, that's not Thomas. Thomas is more like the shadow apostle. He's there. You know he's there, but you don't see nor hear much from him. So I don't believe that Thomas doubted the apostles saw Jesus. When it says, I will not believe, I don't think he was saying, I don't believe he's resurrected. I don't believe he came to meet you guys. I think Thomas got to a place where he was tired of living his life for Jesus based on somebody else's experience. I think Thomas got to a place where he said, you know what? I've walked with him. I've heard him talk. I've seen all the miracles that you saw, Peter, but I'm never, I'm never given credit. I'm, I'm, I'm never, I'm never with him. It's always you or it's John or it's James. And guys, I'm sorry, but I can't continue living for God if I don't get my hands on him for myself. Because if all I do is walk with a God I can't touch and walk with a Savior I can't feel and walk with a Savior that all that, that all of, the only test 
testimony I have is what Peter has. Guys, I won't last very long. I won't make it much longer. I refuse to believe until I get my own hands on him. I can't live for God because my daddy lived for God. I can't live for God because my mama lived for God. I can't believe what I believe only because Eddie Robinson preaches it. I've got to take it personal. This thing has to be so personal that it becomes it becomes part of you. This is not Eddie Robinson's church. It's my church. It's the church I go to. It's the church I sacrifice for. It's the church I give my blood, sweat, and tears to. You can only live for God based on somebody else's experience for so long. You got to have your own prayer life. You've got to touch him for yourself. We got way too many young people living for God because their mommy and daddies do. We got way too many people believing what they believe because mommy and daddy believed it. It's not so easy to leave your first love when you fall in love. God picked up a handful of dust and breathed life in the nostrils of man and from that man... He took out a rib from the side of Adam and made woman. He brought Adam and Eve together and said of one another, this is now bone of bone and flesh of flesh. You are now one. So you walk together. You talk together. You cry together. You feel each other's heartbeat. You feel each other's pain. You feel each other's joy because you're one. You can't distinguish one from the other because you're bone of bone and flesh of flesh. You don't know where one ends and the other starts because you're together. You're that close. And many years later on an old rugged cross, a Roman soldier would take a spear and pierce the side of whom the Bible calls the second Adam. And from that side, blood would begin to flow. And Paul's the one that said he purchased the church. Jesus purchased the church with his blood. That means from the side of the first Adam came the first woman Eve. But from the side of the second Adam came the greatest woman and she's called the church. And Jesus intends for it to be bone of bone and flesh of flesh. Come on. We need to do more than just come to church. We need to become the church. That when she hurts, we hurt. When she cries, we cry. When she has a burden, we have a burden. When she rejoices, we rejoice. So close that you can't distinguish who's the saint and who's the church because we're all together. Oh, I, I just... I just don't believe he doubted. I believe he got to a place where he said, guys, I'm glad you've seen them. 
I'm glad he kept his word and the tomb is empty. But I can't go by your word anymore. I want to see him. I want to thrust my hand in that side. I want to touch those scarred hands. I, I want to touch the wounds in his feet. I want to hear his voice for myself. So is, is God, is Jesus angry? Is, is he upset with Thomas because he didn't believe? Does not the Bible say without faith it is impossible, impossible to please him? So if Thomas was a doubter, that would mean he has no faith. Which would have to imply Jesus is not pleased in him. But watch what happens next. Verse number 26 says, and after eight days, again, his disciples were within. One week later, the disciples are there. And Here's the difference. And Thomas with them. Thomas is with them. Mm -hmm. Now watch what happens. Then came Jesus. Then came Jesus. The doors being shut. The doors being shut. Here it is. And stood in the midst of. He stood in the middle of every one of them. That means he's looking at Peter. Yeah. He's looking at James. Uh -huh. He's looking at John. He's looking at Matthew. He's looking at them all. That's right. And said, peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. Then said, saith he to Thomas. Wait, 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 wait. See, if he was unpleased with Thomas, uh -huh. he would have never taken time for Thomas. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So that in itself indicates Jesus didn't believe he doubted. No, Jesus said, Thomas, if you want it to be personal, yeah. then I will bypass Peter. I will bypass James. I will bypass John. And I'll go right to you because you want the same thing that I want. You want a personal walk? That's exactly what I've been trying to do with you for three years. I've been trying to have a personal walk with you. So it doesn't matter if Peter has kingdom keys in his pocket. It doesn't matter if Matthew knows the value of money. It doesn't matter if James and John is making some noise. He bypasses every one of them and he goes straight to Thomas. And what does he say to Thomas? Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and be go. And behold my hands. You asked for it. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my Go side. Ahead. It's what you've asked for. And be not faithless. Be not faithless. But believing. Yeah, believe. And Thomas answered. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, I'm he said, He said, Thomas, I love you so much. I am willing to answer your prayer. The moment you make your walk with God a personal walk with God is the moment he makes his love with you a personal love. And then you can ask what you will and it shall be given. You can't keep praying to a God because your mama prayed to that God. You can't keep praying to a God because the worship singers sing to that God. You've got to take this thing personal. It's only those who get uptight, upset. It's only those who are not taking a walk with God personal that you always got to keep worrying about their feelings. Because if this thing becomes personal to you, nobody can gossip, gossip you out of church. Nobody can lie you out of church. 
Nobody can backbite you out of church. No saint can cheat you out of church when you take this thing personal. One thing my father instilled in me being raised in a very long line of Pentecostal preachers, one thing he instilled in me at a very early age was, son, you can't ride my coattail. You can't get to heaven on my convictions. And I've taken that and I put it into my kids. It doesn't matter if you hear your daddy preach almost 300 times a year. You've got to get your walk with God. It doesn't matter if your daddy comes very early in the morning at church and prays for an hour. You've got to get your own walk with God. If you are cornered at school or at a workplace and are asked, why do you dress like you do? And your answer is, because my pastor preaches it, you don't get it. This has not become personal yet. Come on, some things you don't need to, but this is one thing you better take personal. So Jesus said, Thomas, you asked, you wanted me for yourself. Son, I wanted you for myself. It, it, it may look like Peter gets all the breaks. That's, that's only because he's always with me. But Thomas, I wanted you with me as well. I wanted all 12 of you with me because I wanted a personal connection with you guys. This thing was never meant to be the elite only get a move of God in. And only the prestige get a walk with God. No, this, this thing was meant for whosoever will. Let him come. Let him ask. Come on, God, let me get my hands on you. Let, let, let me have a walk with you that I can walk with you even if nobody else is walking. Even if the prayer room is empty, I will be there. Even if nobody is at the altar, I will be there. Even if nobody in my family lives for you, I'll live for you. I, I want this to be personal. Then Thomas made one of the greatest statements that is ever recorded in all of Scripture. Thomas said, I want my hands on him. I want my finger in his side. I, I want to see those scarred hands. And Jesus shows up, goes straight to Thomas and says, touch, feel now watch what Thomas declares. Thank you for letting me read this, evangelist. Every person in this church needs to have this memorized, highlighted, because it proclaims that Jesus is God. If you have a question in this church, and if you believe that there's God the Father, in God the Son, this scripture answers that question. Yes. Because Thomas answered and said unto him, being Jesus, my Lord and my God. Thank you, Jesus. Let, let, brother, let, let me ask you, Brother Robinson. Thomas, who's Lord? Thomas said, my Lord. Who's God? Thomas said, my God. Thomas didn't say, that's Peter's Lord. That's Peter's God. No, for the first time, Thomas got a revelation. This is my Lord. This is 
my God. So don't you ever call Thomas doubting Thomas again. No, he wasn't doubting. He wanted to take it personal. It's my Lord. It's my God. It's my healer. It's my Savior. It's my Redeemer. It's my lover. It's my Lord. It's my God. He belongs to me. For, for, for all you people that have come up to me, come up to the other preachers, and you've said things like, you pray for me, man. I need you to pray for me. Just really need. You know, if you had your own walk with God, you wouldn't need our hands. only reason you need us to pray for you is because you don't know how to pray yourself because he's not your Lord yet. He's not your God yet. He's not become your Savior. He's somebody else's Savior. That man with leprosy made the statement to Jesus. He said, if you will, you can make me clean. There was no doubt of his ability. The doubt came in the willingness. Jesus, I know you can, but I'm not quite sure if you will for me. And I think that's the number one issue that rises in people's heads. Because if I was to ask you, can Jesus heal? Most likely 100% would say yes. So the question is not, can he heal or can he save or can he forgive or can he deliver? No, your question is you're not sure if he can do it for you. But when he becomes your Lord, and your God, now he becomes your healer. Now he becomes your savior. Now he becomes your deliverer. Remain standing. David gave in the hands of Solomon all the blueprint to build God a house. All the design. He even set up in motion where every position would stand in their place inside that tabernacle. He set up everything. And after done all of that, your Bible records that David gave of his own substance over and beyond all that he prepared to give Solomon. Because David wanted this temple to be a personal temple. Solomon this is not just your church. This is my church, son. Israel, this is not just your building. This is my building. And if you want to know what a growing church and a moving church looks like, there's your blueprint. Solid people. Those who know how to give. Those who know how to make noise. Those who know how to work the field. Those who love everybody. Those who will work the faith they claim to have. Those who will be absolutely what they claim to be.
and those who will make the church personal and make their God personal. I'll tell you this, the denominal world has got a lot wrong, but they got one thing right. He does need to be your personal Savior. Every hand lifted, every voice raised right now. Somebody needs to make this personal right now. You've been living your life with God based on somebody else's story. It's time on this Sunday night you make it personal. 